everybody, this is James Lindsay. You're listening to New Discourses Bullets, which is a short podcast in which I give a kind of bullet point-like summary of one topic from woke Marxism that we need to know and understand so that we can defeat woke Marxism. This episode, I want to talk about a concept that's very simple. Actually, I want to talk about how you make sure your society doesn't have a communist revolution or even a fascist revolution or any of these kind of totalitarian takeovers uh, like we see is happening Everybody always says, you know, our society is sick, and that's why I was able to get in. Well, let me tell you something very, very simple about what it is that allows revolutions uh, or what prevents revolutions. You know, we can go into the theories of Antonio Gramsci and cultural hegemony and all of this or whatever, but the answer is a lot simpler than that. Uh, And I can say it in three words, and I think you need to have this as kind of a mantra. I think you should be repeating this and, and, and sharing it. It's very easy to remember. And it's very easy to, to, to use as a piece of guidance for how to orient yourself in terms of everyday activity that you can engage in, no matter if you're a normal um, you know, mom out there, whether you're a politician, whether you're a business person or whatever. Uh, it's very simple. And that mantra, it's three words. Just remember this, and, and I'm going to develop it. Stability prevents revolutions. Is that, that should be very simple. Stability prevents revolutions. So if you have a society that is stable, there won't be a revolution. People in stable societies, stable functioning societies, do not want revolutions. It's where something is unstable, where something is um, agitated. Only in the case where something has become grotesquely unjust in a stable circumstance, where you actually have a tyranny, as a matter of fact, do people in what seems to be a stable situation want revolutions? But the point of a tyranny is that it is ultimately capricious. It's ultimately down to the the will or whims of the tyrant as to what uh, is going to pass. So that's actually not that stable. So a, a stable society prevents revolutions. So stability, just remember that, stability prevents revolutions. So if you want to prevent a revolution, you need stability. We are in the middle of a cultural revolution, which is happening because we were able to be agitated out of stability. And that's what I want people to understand. But this is going to be very useful in guiding our thinking in terms of how we're supposed to deal with woke Marxism. But I want to give you a clear window into the fact that the Marxists that we deal with beginning from the 1960s, so over the last 60, 65, 70 years, have understood this very well. That's not to say that Stalin and Lenin and Mao didn't understand this. Of course they did. Mao had the the Red Guard going out destroying the four olds so that society would be destabilized, so that nobody could trust anybody, etc. Lenin and Stalin had all of these crazy purges and these weird, you know, unjust arrests. So you never quite knew what was going on. People were driven into starvation so that their lives were upended. Um, Stability was being taken away from them, economic stability. But so in the 19, in 1969, Herbert Marcuse, the leading neo-Marxist, in other words, the most influential left-wing thinker in the last century, very important to realize that, um, Herbert Marcuse had a huge influence, especially on the entire uh, generation of the so-called 60s radicals, many, many, many of whom went on to become college professors and shape the thinking of generations on down, and what's called the Long March to the Institutions, which Marcuse did not develop himself, but promoted vigorously as a sound and intelligent strategy, explicitly, uh, by name, Encounter, Revolution, and Revolt, which he wrote in 1972. Um, 
Here's what he wrote in 69 in an essay on liberation. I'm going to read a couple of pieces about the word stability or stabilizing. He said, the so-called consumer economy and the politics of corporate capitalism have created a second nature of man, which ties him libidinally, so at the level of his desires, and aggressively to the commodity form. The need for possessing, consuming, handling, and constantly renewing the gadgets, devices, instruments, engines offered to and imposed upon the people for using these wares even at the danger of one's own destruction has become a, quote, biological need in the sense just justified or just defined. Sorry. The second nature of man thus militates against any change that would disrupt and perhaps abolish this dependence of man on a market ever more densely filled with merchandise, abolish his existence as a consumer consuming himself and buying and selling. The needs generated by this system are thus eminently stabilizing conservative needs, the counter-revolution anchored in the instinctual structure. So what he's arguing here, I'm going to read a little bit more from him in a second. What he's arguing here is that the logic of the market itself creates this commodity form of life where buying and owning and earning money to buy and participating in the production and consumption model of society that Klaus Schwab recently said that they want to get rid of now and replace with a caring and sharing model. In case you wondered if Klaus Schwab's model is communist, there you go. Uh, what he says is that the, the consumer or commodity form of, of, the, of the market creates a second nature in man. It makes man believe that's who he really is Again, on the so-called biological level. He doesn't mean biological. He means at the level of your, your psychological stability and your, your basic needs, which is he's doing that on purpose, I'm sure. So what he's saying, though, is that the needs generated by a system, a consumer market system, production and consumption system, are eminently stabilizing conservative needs that generate the counter-revolution and anchor it in somebody's, in, in, in people's instinctual structure, what, it, what the, how they, their instincts about how they want to live their lives, and so on. And he says what this does is it prevents the vehicles of liberation. We can't free ourselves from the existing society because we are stabilized by the existing society. So when Horkheimer said in the same year, Max Horkheimer was the creator of the critical theory, so kind of the OG neo-Marxist in some sense, what he said in, in an interview in 69 is the exact same thing. He said, in fact, that one of the errors that they discovered was that, that, um, that Marx thought that capitalism would immiserate the worker. And he says, what we've learned is that's not so. Capitalism actually allows the worker to build better, a better life. And so that stabilizes him. And so Marcuse says the exact same thing here in Essay on Liberation, not in the part I just read, but going on beyond this. He goes and says that, in fact, the, stable, the economic stabilization of advanced capitalism actually stabilizes the working class and makes them no longer revolutionary class. He says the power of corporate capitalism has stifled the emergence of such a, and I'll add a word, radical consciousness and imagination. Its mass media have adjusted the rational and emotional faculties of the of its market and its policies and steered them to the defense of its domination of its dominion. The narrowing of the consumption gap has rendered possible. That means the gap between rich and poor and their ability to consume. In other words, the emergence of a middle class, by the way, 
has rendered possible the mental and instinctual coordination of the laboring classes. The majority of organized labor shares the stabilizing counter-revolutionary needs of the middle classes, as evidenced by their behavior as consumers of the material and cultural merchandise, by their emotional revulsion against the nonconformist intelligentsia. Conversely, where the consumer gap is still wide, where the capitalist culture has not yet reached into every house or hut, the system of stabilizing needs has its limit. See, so what he's saying is capitalism works. In fact, a phrase that he uses somewhere near this in this essay is it delivers the goods. Capitalism delivers the goods, and what it does is it stabilizes the working class. Remember what I said. Stability prevents revolution. That's what he's saying. So where you have a narrowing of the consumption gap, where you have a strong middle class, where the labor, the working class is actually wealthy enough to enjoy their lives and be comfortable, even if in a modest way. Think back to the Roseanne show back in the day, right? So if they're comfortable, they're going to be stabilized and counter-revolutionary. They're not going to try to overthrow their, the system. And he says, where do you have to look, though? Where the consumer gap is still wide. That's where there has to be this huge class difference. That's where capitalist culture has not yet, because capitalism works, he's already confessed that, has not yet reached into every house or hut. He says the system of stabilizing need, needs has its limit. The glaring contrast between the privileged class and the exploited, exploited leads to radicalization of the underprivileged. See, so when you have plenty and you have prosperity and you have stability, you don't have radicalization, so you're not going to get a revolution. Stability prevents revolution. This is a key principle in stopping and rolling back a revolution like we're going through. He says, this is the case of the ghetto population and the unemployed in the United States. This is also the case of the laboring classes in the more backwards capitalist countries. In other places, he mentions that it's also the case of the f women under feminism. It says, by virtue of its basic Position in the production process by virtue of its numerical weight and the weight of exploitation, the working class is still the historical agent of revolution. By virtue of its sharing, and there should be a however here, by however, by virtue of its sharing the stabilizing needs of the system, it has become a conservative, even counter-revolutionary force. And so he goes on to say that they need to find a, a different working class, a new working class, and he says we're going to look to the ghetto population, the feminists, the outsiders, the unemployed, this racial and sexual minorities, this is where you're going to find that, what does he call it there, uh, the glaring contrast between the privileged class and the exploited, which leads to a radicalization of the underprivileged, which destabilizes people and thus allows for there to be a revolutionary class that he needs to achieve the revolution that he's after. Because stability prevents revolution. That's the concept here. And this is a very important principle. So knowing that they're not going to be very successful at agitating in the United States and throughout the West for economic instability, which is what Marxists have always had to pursue to make that glaring contrast between the wealthy capitalists and the piss poor laboring classes being exploited. They're going into cultural and social politics. They go into identity politics. And the goal of a critical theory, when he talks about a biological foundation for socialism, and he's talking about that level of a second nature of man and an instinctual nature, and he says that it gets interjected by the existing society, he says what we have to do is interject different values. What I read that as is that critical theory is developed specifically to cause emotional and psychological instability. And look at our children who've been raised with critical pedagogy that derives from it. Emotional and psychological instability. So if we want to fight back against this, we have to remember the general maxim. 
first of all, the principle of their principle is where they can destabilize, they can get radicalization and a revolution. So the principle for us is that stability prevents revolution. So if we want to prevent something from undergoing revolution, we still have subversion to worry about. We still have other issues, but those are trying to create that destabilization. What we need to be doing is figuring out how to stabilize the circumstances. They are messing with our currency that will be destabilizing. They're messing with our energy that will be destabilizing. They're messing with our food that will be destabilizing. Those are the big picture ESG kind of things. But then in the, the, the social level, the S in that ESG, think about it for a second. DEI training creates hostile working environments, doesn't it? It creates really hostile working environments. In other words, destabilized working environments that suddenly need to transform and change according to a new basis. Uh, which is going to be the sustainable and equitable and uh, inclusive future that they're demanding under whether it's diversity, equity, and inclusion, whether it's diversity and belonging, the new term that they're trying to float out like anybody is confused by this. They need the destabilization of the workplace, of the school, of the institution, of the military, etc. Because when it's destabilized, then they can transform it. If it's stable, they can't transform it. That's why the counteract to, to woke is being based if we look at martial arts for what it means to be based and we don't go back to its actual origins and drug use uh, as a slang term, we can realize that it means that you don't get thrown around. You have your base. You can't. Nobody can pick you up and throw you when you've got your base. So you're on your base. You don't get thrown around. It's the same idea. If you're stable, they can't transform your circumstance. So how do we deal with this as an everyday person or a politician or a business leader? You have to foster stability. What they're doing to your children with social emotional learning is grotesquely destabilizing. It's emotionally and psychologically destabilizing, socially destabilizing. So what do you have to do? You have to protect them from that. You might have to take them out of the system and stabilize them yourself at home. If you can't take them out of the system, you better be figuring out ways to stabilize them at home. They're going to need all kinds of deep programming. They're going to need time with friends and family. You're going to have to have you know neighborhood activities going on. They're going to have to get involved in things that are outside of those influences. If it's those influences and it's extracurricular, get them out. If you can get them out of the schools, get them out. You have to stabilize your kids because they'll be radicalized and they're easier to radicalize than adults. We have to try to do what we can to stabilize our economy, our food supply. We need to be thinking about those things, which means we need to be challenging and demanding that our leaders challenge ESG at every turn. Uh, because ESG is the primary tool of destabilization. So those are things that you need to be doing. But with all of your activity, whatever it is you decide to pick up, you need to remember one simple principle to aim for. And that principle is that stability prevents revolutions. So anywhere you see destabilization, you need to act to stop that. If you have an agitator who's pushing contrived narratives or whatever else, you need to counteract those by pointing out that's a contrived narrative. You are an agitator. That's called naming the dynamic. And then you circumvent that and, and don't get in an argument with them because that's more instability. People taking both sides, etc. You need to go ahead. Anywhere you see destabilization, you need to start asking yourself, how do I intervene in this to create stability and remove the people who are agitating? If somebody was grabbing a hold of the table and shaking it, you would grab a hold of them and remove them from being able to shake the table. That's what you've got to figure out how to do, though cleverly, legally, verbally, whatever the metaphor isn't, you should be grabbing hold of people and manhandling them. So if it's with your children, you need to stabilize your children's environment. Stable, stabilized children are very unlikely to get sucked into the gender cult. 
They're very unlikely to get sucked into activism. They're very unlikely to get sucked into gangs and cities that are kind of a fuel for this. They're very unlikely to get sucked into criminal activity, which is a fuel for this. So anywhere you see instability, you need to be thinking, how do I intervene to create stability in that situation? Because stable people, not only do they resist revolutions, become conservative, even counter-revolutionary forces, they also start to develop have the space to grow, have the space to learn, have the space to start to grow into prosperity and generate prosperity. So what we need to be doing is looking for anywhere there are agitators, disruption or instability or destabilized circumstances and start looking to how we create stability in that. The whole reactionary thing like, oh, we're going to have this like, you know, new Caesar or a new tyrant or a new right wing, you know, power. This is what people were looking for in Hitler. This is what people were looking for in Franco and Pinochet and all of these other kinds of right-wing dictators that came in to try to stamp out the communists. They were looking for somebody who could come in and impose stability by force. Turns out that power corrupts absolutely, and therefore that didn't work out in the end. There's also very unstable in its own way. But what we need to be looking for is the ability to create stability. That is not real stability, so don't go in that direction. The impulse is to completely understandable, but the mechanism is inc- completely incorrect. The maxim, one last time, stability prevents revolutions. So if you want to prevent the revolution from succeeding, find what's being destabilized, figure out ways to start stabilizing it, figure out who's doing the destabilizing and how they're doing it, and neutralize their ability to continue doing it, either by overcoming what they're actually doing, neutralizing what they're actually doing, or by removing them from the position and making it unable for them to continue uh, destabilizing in the circumstance they're in.